every so often, we find ourselves in a win-win situation. No matter which way it goes, we come out ahead. For example, let's say at school you need to take a Spanish class. There are two Spanish classes available. As you think about the two classes, each of them has something going for it. One class has a great teacher who makes the class really fun and interesting. The other class has your best friend in it and that pretty girl you've been trying to get to know. Either one is great. It's a win-win situation. Or let's say this Saturday, your boyfriend thinks he can get the day off work and you can drive up to the Poconos for a picnic by the lake. If he can't get the day off, well, there are three of your girlfriends who have been talking about hitting the mall to do some serious shopping. The stores are having some great Fourth of July sales. Picnic with your boyfriend, the mall with your girlfriends. Hey, either one is great. It's a win-win situation. Or let's say your husband has promised a getaway weekend. If it's sunny, it doesn't rain, you'll head for the shore. If a thunderstorm comes up the coast, you'll go to Lancaster County. Three days alone with your spouse, right? The shore, Amish country, it's great. Either one is great. It's a win-win. Or let's say you get an email from your adult kids. They're living in Florida, making real money now. They've got real jobs, praise God, right? <laughs> and they're trying to decide between spending the money to fly themselves and their kids up to see you or to fly you down to Orlando where they'll meet you for three days at Disney World and Epcot. I mean, now you're talking. That sounds good. Three days with your kids and grandkids. Less trouble and travel for you if they come to you here, but more fun and adventure if you go to them there. Either way is a win. It's great. Win-win. So you get the idea. It's great to be in a win-win situation. No matter which way it goes, you come out ahead. The Apostle Paul once found himself in that kind of win-win situation. No matter which way it went, he would come out ahead. As he explained in the letter to his Philippian friends, someday soon, at my trial, Caesar is going to make a decision. He's either going to let me live, or he's going to put me to death. Talk about a win-win situation. Either way will be great for me, to live or to die. And we think, now wait a minute, Paul. That doesn't sound like a win-win situation to me. I think one of those would be highly preferable, and the other one would be on the bottom of the list of things I'd want to happen. He's going to be put to death, or he's going to be allowed to live. And that's a win-win situation? How so? We're going to find out how so in our text today as we continue our sermon series in Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians ushers us into this amazing world where there is joy no matter what. Joy no matter what. There's joy to be found along the sometimes bloody trail that we walk in this sad, fallen, broken world. We're talking about real life, our wounds, our scars, our chains, our brokenness but real life that has real joy in it. So as we make our way through Philippians, our key verse today 
is chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So let's read our entire text for today to get a biblical perspective on living and dying, and to see why to live or to die is a toss-up for Paul. It's a win-win situation, and how it can be that way for us, too. We're in chapter 1. We'll read uh, from the middle of verse 18 through verse 26. You can follow along as I read. This is the word of God. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So we're going to say two things uh, in the message today, one about living and one about dying. And the first is, living is a win when it's about serving Jesus. Living is a win when it's about serving Jesus. We saw last week, at the beginning of verse 18, what happened to Paul and how it served to advance the gospel. Uh, Paul's great ministry plans went south. (laughs) They went bad. And he ended up in chains. He ended up in prison. But God's perfect purposes unfolded through that to move the gospel forward in unexpected, amazing ways. Paul was now preaching Christ to Caesar's palace guards. We said that there were 9,000 of these guards with their families. And as a result of that, other Christians were hearing about that and were now being emboldened to preach Christ to the people in their lives. And because of this, Paul says he rejoices. So he goes on to say at the end of verse 18 and into verse 19 in our text today, he says, you know what, I have another reason for rejoicing. He says, yes, and I will will continue to rejoice, for I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. My deliverance. The word he uses for deliverance is the word in their Greek language for salvation. Same word. So what Paul is saying is, what's happening to me is leading me somewhere. It's it's leading me to that great day in eternity when God's final stamp of approval will finish and wrap up my salvation in Jesus Christ. So he's looking at that future day. He's looking ahead when his salvation will be complete. The day when finally, at last, he will be with his Lord. And there will be no more sin, 
No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more chains, no more prison. Only a complete salvation in the presence of his Lord and Savior. There will be smiling and laughing and loving and celebrating. So what is it that Paul sees happening in the next few months that will result in his deliverance? Well, in verse 20, Paul explains that he knows he's going to have a chance to exalt Christ at his upcoming trial. He knows his trial is just around the corner. And he realizes that he's going to have an unbelievable opportunity to magnify Jesus to the Roman Empire, to honor him before the whole world which Rome ruled over at that time. He's going to have a chance to exalt Jesus Christ like never before. So when Paul says, I eagerly expect, in verse 20, he's actually making up a word. Paul does this from time to time. He'll just make up a word. He'll throw some words together and make up his own words. And he does that here. He, he, he takes three words and he just mashes them together. And he strings them together to, into a brand new made-up word. And the three words are head, away, looking. Head, away, looking. And he just jams them together as if to say, I'm turning my head away from anything else, and I'm looking intently, focusing on what's up ahead. So look at verse 20 again. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He's saying, my anticipation is that I'm going to come through with flying colors. I don't know exactly how, but God is with me. And I'm going to present a strong, bold case. God helping me, I'm, I'm not going to wimp out. Because Jesus is with me, and Jesus is everything to me. I'm planning to put him front and center in what I say. This is very important. For Paul, Jesus was the center of his solar system. I'm afraid that for us, uh, the world and our sinful hearts tell us that, that everything should revolve around us, each one of us having our own little solar system, revolving around us, our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions, our plans. G.K. Chesterton told a story about a boy who was given this magical opportunity to, to become either small or big. Which do you think he chose? Small or big? What do you think? Big. Big. Predictably, the boy chose to be not just big, gigantic. <laughs> In a matter of three minutes, he could stride across North America. He could go up to Mount Everest and kick it over like a sandcastle. But after a few days of this, you know what happened. He got bored. He got bored because the whole earth felt only as big as his backyard. There was no one to play with. There was nothing left to see or do. Had that boy chosen instead to be made small, his own backyard could have been like the Amazon rainforest. He could have spent his childhood exploring his own backyard and discovering new things every day. 
we like to make ourselves big. That's what our sin tells us. Make yourself big. Make yourself the center. We place ourselves at the center of our solar system. Do you know what? I'm finding out that I want to get smaller as I get older, not bigger. I want God to be bigger because I need to be lost in who he is, not all tangled up in who I am. There's a lot of superficial Christianity these days, and I think this is mainly because Jesus is merely added to our lives. We stay at the center of our universe, and we ask Jesus to orbit around us. We want him there. We say, I like Jesus. He's great. I want some Jesus. I want some Christianity. I I want some church. But I'm going to stay at the center of my life. Jesus, you orbit around me, and I'll see you every time you come around, I promise. Well, that's not what Jesus wants from us. That's not a game he will play. Jesus comes into our lives, and he messes with us, Because he is Lord, and we are not. And he says these crazy things like, we need to die to ourselves. He tells us to take up our cross and follow him daily. He becomes the new center of our lives. And the issue that we find throughout the whole Bible, and the issue of our whole life, is dealing with idolatry in various forms. We set up idols in our hearts. And idolatry, it's, it's simply putting anything other than Jesus at the center of your life, the center of your solar system. Did you notice what Paul did not say in his chains from prison? He did not say, to live is me. He did not say, to live is comfort. He did not say to live is approval, to live is control, to live is power. No, he said to live is Christ. Because he knew that Christ is greater than all the idols we bow down to and build our lives upon. So for Paul, after he exalts Christ to the world at his trial, Caesar can make whatever decision he wants about Paul. After Paul displays Christ to the world, whatever happens to his body is fine. Whether his trial leads to life or death, it's a win-win situation for him. If Caesar releases him, he'll go on serving Christ. If Caesar puts him to death, he'll finally get to be with the Savior he loves. He's in a win-win situation, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So living is a win when it's about serving Jesus. Second, dying is a win when it's about seeing Jesus. Dying is a win when it's about seeing Jesus. In verse 21, and following to the end of our text in verse 26, Paul says that this is such a win-win situation that if you asked him which one he'd pick, he would have a hard time making up his mind. If you gave Paul his druthers, he'd probably pick going to be with Christ. I mean, what could be better than that? 
On the other hand, you know, he wrestles with this. What, what would serve God's purposes more fully? Well, probably staying and serving the churches and planting some new churches for just a bit longer. As Paul thinks about it, he's pretty sure that's what God will decide. You can see in these verses. Which means he thinks Caesar will probably then release him and he'll get to visit his friends again. And we look at Paul and we think, how in the world do you get to the point he's at where you are as happy to die and be with Christ as you are to stay here on earth and serve his purposes? How do you get to that point? To live Christ. To die, even better. I have to admit, I'm not there yet. There have been a few times in my life when I sensed a a teensy bit of that, but I was still a long way from it. Deep within me was a confidence that if I died, I was going to, to heaven and I would be with Jesus. But I was nowhere near where Paul is in our text. Either way is fine. No, no, I'm, I'm not there. For most of us, I think it's something like this. Lord, I'm glad to know that I'm coming to you someday. Thank you. Thank you, Father. But I'm in no particular hurry, no rush on my end of things. I'd like to stay down here for a little while longer. For to me, To live is a lot of things. To advance along my career path as far as I can. To get engaged, to marry, to raise a family, to see more of the world, to do some other things here on earth. To die? Well, it's amazing to know that there's there's nothing to fear. That it's all been taken care of through Jesus, through his sacrifice. I have forgiveness and life. But... Let's kind of leave it where it is for a while longer. Reminds me a little bit of a story about three friends who die, and they arrive at the pearly gates at the same time. And as St. Peter is showing them around heaven, he asks what kind of comments or remarks they would most like to hear from their family and their friends at their funerals, which were about to take place on earth. So one man says, I'd like to hear them say I was a great doctor and a good family man. The second man says, I'd like to hear them say that I was a wonderful husband and that during my career as a school teacher, I made a difference in a lot of lives. The third man says, those both sound great, but what I'd really like to hear them say is, hey, look, he's still moving. (laughs) That's kind of where I am these days. (laughs) Hey, look. I'm still moving. I'm still here. That's a good thing. I'll take it. I'm a little bit closer these days to where Paul was in our text, but I honestly still can't say that if I had my choice, I would want to go to be with the Lord right now, today. Although there are definitely days when I'm ready to go, and you probably have some days like that too. How did Paul get to the point where he saw his options, live or die, as nothing but a win-win situation. I think two things happened. First, I think Paul saw a very clear picture of what death is, and that made him willing for it to happen to him. He saw what death really means for the Christian. 
to see Jesus, to be with him. And he recognized how great that would be. You see his understanding of death in the word he uses for it in verse 23. The word depart. See that? Depart. I'm torn between the two, Paul says. I desire to depart. He's talking about death. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And that word he uses for depart was a word that was used a couple of ways. Sometimes it was used to describe breaking camp and heading home. It was also used to describe untying the lines from the pier to let the ship sail away. So imagine breaking camp. You're departing, right? Imagine breaking camp. Enough mosquitoes, enough cold showers, enough bears poking around in the food at night, enough of those long, cold, uncomfortable nights on the hard ground. Let's pack this stuff up and head home where it will be so much better. Or, since most of us don't sail all that much, think of it like this. Imagine lugging all your bags through a foreign airport. You've been traveling overseas for about two weeks. You've been living out of a suitcase in one hotel room after another. The beds are hard. The pillows don't feel right. The A.C. broke down in your room at night, but you couldn't explain it very well to the night clerk because he didn't speak English. You can't read the street signs because they're in a different language. You're worried about using the subway because you're not sure you've quite figured it out yet and you don't want to get lost. The money is different. You're not sure how much you're paying for things. You're on edge because you're afraid somebody is going to lift your wallet or steal your passport. Well, after two weeks of this, weary, frazzled, you get to the airport. And you look at the listing of flights on the board. You're looking for your flight home. You find it. And you see that the sign says, estimated time of departure, delayed. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Or worse yet, cancel. Oh, please, no. (laughs) I want to go home. I want to depart. I want to get home. That's how Paul saw it. I want to depart this world and be home with my heavenly Father, with my Savior. I want to arrive at my heavenly home and see him face to face at last. When you see how good it's going to be, who wouldn't want that? I think Paul has come to see clearly what death means. It's not loss for a believer in Christ, it's gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'll bet those words were in Paul's mind when, as church tradition has it, he was taken outside the gates of Rome went down on his knees, bared his neck, and was beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. He was going to see his Savior face to face. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And maybe his mind was also a little bit on those soldiers who were about to kill him, thinking something like this, I want them to know Jesus too. Father, forgive them. I want them to be free 
the way I'm free. I want them to face their final hours on earth as I'm facing mine, full of hope and joy for eternity. And I think the second reason that Paul could say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, is because Christ was everything to him. We said that earlier, and I want to just underscore it. Christ was everything to him in life and in death. It made no difference. Christ was everything to him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That message begins with the fact that Jesus came to forgive our sins. He came to rescue us. Jesus comes to set us free from slavery to all the false gods we worship and waste our lives over. He resets our solar system. He places himself at the center of it for our joy, for his glory. Christ was everything to Paul. Christ was his passion. Christ was his eternity. And it's got to be the same for me and for you. That Christ is everything to us. If we are going to be able to live fearless, joyful lives in this world, for Jesus' sake, with a great and blessed hope for life in the world that is yet to come. Living is a win if it's all about Christ, not me. And dying is a win if it's all about Christ, not me. And when Christ is everything to you, whether living or dying, whether you serve him here or see him there, That's a win-win situation all around, and it's full of joy. Amen? Amen. We come to the Lord's table today, and every time we partake of the Lord's Supper together, it, it reminds us of where we're going. It reminds us that we're not spinning our wheels, we're not stuck in a rut, We're actually going somewhere. And Jesus knew that, you know, this is a hard world. It's a painful world at times. There there are hard things that happen. And and he knew that many times our hearts were troubled. And he didn't want us to forget what was lying ahead of us, where he was going and where we would follow him. So... The last night that he was with his disciples before he went to the cross, this is part of what he said to them. And he says it to us as well as we come to his table. From John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.